0: We're going to continue our series that we started last week called Thermometers and Thermostats. We're talking about our vision statement, reach up, rise up, reach out, through the lens of kind of a modern analogy, spiritual analogy, talking about thermometers and thermostats. So how many people can tell that the world's messed up? Can, can you tell that? Yeah, you, you have your ability to discern that this world is messed up. How many people would say that you even have some issues? There's things you need to deal with personally. There's family issues, work issues. You know, your, your school has problems. There's, there's lots of things messed up in this world. We can see that. So we're able to detect that. That's like being a thermometer. A thermometer can tell the temperature. It knows what the temperature is. However, a thermometer is powerless to do anything about the temperature, right? A thermostat, however, thermostats are amazing things. You know, I go over to that little box and I just punch what temperature I want. When it's cold, I punch it up to get it warmer. When it's warm out, I punch it down to get it cooler. And it's a great thing. It not only knows what the temperature is, but it can change the temperature, And so that's where we want to get in our faith in Christ, is where we don't just notice that the world's messed up, but that we can be agents of change. We can bring something into this world that makes a difference. We talked about that last week in the first part of our series, and here's the deal. We don't want to get stuck noticing that the world is messed up and then just being mad about it. The world doesn't need more angry thermometers, but not doing anything about it, not able to change anything. What the world needs is a bunch of people, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who can go into the world and actually change some things, actually bring light into the darkness, actually bear fruit for the kingdom of God. That's where we want to get. We want to get to the place where we can actually make a real difference. So last week was reach up. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. You can have a real relationship with the living God. Don't settle for any counterfeits. A relationship with church, I guess, is okay, but it's nothing compared to a relationship with God. This week, we're going to talk about rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you. Have you ever met someone who made an impact on your life? You know, a mentor, a friend, someone who made a difference for you. Meeting that person put something good inside of you and called you up. Now, what if you met Almighty God? Might meeting God have an impact on you, change you. I tell you, a real relationship with the living God will change you, and that's rise up. We want to rise up out of the junk that's been holding us back our whole life into the plan of God for who we were created to be. We have a a discipleship pathway here at Good Hope. It's our our church strategy for bringing someone from not knowing the Lord at all to into their full potential in Christ. You know, you got to have a strategy for these sorts of things, and we talk about it in our foundations class, but it's a six-step process, and here's how it goes. Pre-evangelism, evangelism, care, discipleship, involvement, and advancement. This is our process. And so let me explain it to you. First one is pre-evangelism. Pre-evangelism is be a strong believer, a strong Christian, functioning in the community without being weird. You know what I mean? Just be a normal human being, and then people will have those walls broken down. They'll say, oh, like for me, that's a pastor guy? Huh, he seemed nice. Or, wow, he seems like a normal human being. Yeah, we're normal people. We're normal people that love Jesus, that believe in the power of God. We're normal people. This is pre-evangelism. We're just trying to break down the barriers, get the word about the church out there in a positive way, and help people see Jesus in a positive light without anything else going on. That's pre-evangelism. Then the next step is evangelism. And evangelism is giving people an opportunity to choose to follow Christ. And I don't care what Avenue that takes. That can be in the church service, it could be in a small group, it can be one on one, it can be on TV, it could be on the radio, it could be big tent revival. I don't care what particular methodology we use for giving people an opportunity to choose to follow Christ, but let's give them that opportunity. I'm going to give people that opportunity at the end of the service today. And you can do that with people personally. You can lead them to Christ yourself. But that's evangelism. Then, when someone decides to follow Christ in their life, here's the assumption that I make personally about each of you and myself, and that is this. We're all messed up. we got problems. we got issues we need to deal with. Just because you're able to get yourself dressed and look nice and come to church and smile doesn't mean your life is going great. I mean, and the reality is, we don't all need to hear all your problems the first time we meet. So we're just going to assume you've got a lot of problems that you're not talking about and you're being friendly. That's good. And that's why the next step is care. And this is part of rise up, rise up out of the junk that's been holding you back. And that's where we need to love each other. We have prayer teams. We care about each other, pray for each other at the end of the service. We have counseling opportunities through the church. And we hopefully are building relationships, it's part of the small group idea, living life together, all of care doesn't have to be professional, it can be friends walking through life together, encouraging each other, and even saying to one another, you know what, man, I don't think that's helping you, I think you need to get over that deal, and and let's talk about that, you know, that's care, helping us get out of the junk, but you know, it's not enough to get out of the junk, we need to get into what's good, and that's discipleship where we rise up into who God has called us to be. And discipleship is any type of training that helps you learn how to be a Christian, how to be good at following Christ. And so just like with evangelism, I don't care what the format is. I don't care. I believe that preaching time is discipleship that you're learning how to follow Christ in the preaching time. Small group time can be even more effective because you can have uh, back-and-forth interactions and you can hear about your specific life from people and they can, they can help you in discipleship. Bible reading is discipleship. You can just go straight to the Scriptures and find out how to follow Christ by yourself with your daily devotional time and reading the scriptures. That's discipleship. It doesn't matter the format. It's any type of training to help you learn to follow Christ more effectively. That's discipleship. Then we have involvement. Involvement is very simple. It means that you start serving in a ministry of the church. You get involved. And we always start people in the entry level, so like we've had people that have been worship leaders for years at other places, and and now they're here, and then now they're playing in the background. You know, that's where you start because you got to get started in the beginning at the entry area. I believe every pastor should start by cleaning the toilets. I think that's the best place to start because we got to find out if you're able to do that, then maybe there's hope for you. If you're not able to clean the toilets, I don't think you got much future in vocational ministry, but you got to start at the entry level and then there's advancement, learn and grow and be promoted. We can do that through our Minsam classes. We can take people all the way into vocational ministry from finding the Lord in the first place to Getting set free to learning how to follow Christ, getting involved, and then going all the way into vocational ministry. All of our paid staff members have been raised up from the inside at Good Hope Church. Now, I'm not opposed to hiring from the outside. Maybe someday that'll happen. That'd be great. I've tried to do that, been unsuccessful, but but we've raised people up on the inside. And that's the, the process. That's our discipleship process. Pre-evangelism, evangelism, care, discipleship, involvement, and advancement. And that's how we bring people to that place. So this week we're talking about the third and the fourth one, care and discipleship. That's the rise up part, out of the junk that's been holding you back into who God has truly called you to be. So we want to rise up out of destructive life patterns into spiritually and emotionally healthy lifestyles. We want to rise up out of believing lies about ourself and other people into understanding and believing the truth. We want to rise up out of inner turmoil, inner bitterness, inner unforgiveness into a place of peace that passes all understanding. We want to rise up out of a selfish and self-centered life into living a life of eternal purpose. This is what we're called to do. So, Basically, if we look at Galatians chapter 5, we want to rise up out of a big list of things that's talked about there into another big list of things. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, and let's look at the things we want to rise up out of and the things we want to rise up into. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions. Does a person described by this, does this sound like a happy person? This is a mess, right? This is a mess. Envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things, there is no law. So, what would it be like if your heart condition, if you woke up in the morning and what you had on the inside of you to the core of your being, you were full of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What would it be like to wake up being you if that's what you are full of on the inside? Oh, man. What would it be like to know you, to be related to you, to work with you, to be a classmate of yours if that's what you had on the inside? Oh, man. You're going to make a difference, right? Your light is going to shine in this world if that's what you got on the inside. So this is very important stuff. Now, it's wonderful to know we should do something, but how do we do it? Have you ever just been full of anxiety, and you were like, "Lord, I, I cast my cares upon you and give me the peace that passes all understanding and then and then fifteen seconds later, you're still full of anxiety. You're like, "Well, I need to be a person of the cross, someone that offers forgiveness, you know and and so, oh, Lord, I forgive this person who did this terrible thing, and then fifteen seconds later you just you, you find your hands like just involuntarily wanting to choke them, you know, and and you're like, oh, I I guess I'm not there yet. How do I actually get there? You know, because just wanting to be somewhere doesn't mean that we're there. So how do we get there? Well, this again is the rise up part. And everyone wants to change the world for the better, but you've got to change yourself first. This is the hard work of following Christ, is looking at ourselves, looking in the mirror, dealing with me. One of the unfortunate realities about Christianity is the caricature of Christianity has been focused out, saying these people are messed up, these people are wrong, these people are bad, and they themselves are all messed up and got all kinds of problems, not dealing with themselves, but dealing with other people and wanting other people to change, but not willing to change themselves. We need to look at ourselves. We need to get the plank out of our own eye before we can get the speck out of our brother's eye. And here's the deal. Have you ever noticed that sometimes Christian people are difficult to deal with? Well, let me give you a reason for that. At Good Hope Church, we want hurting and broken people to come to church and find Jesus, find healing, find a support network, and get on the road to making their life better, and walking with God. But here's the deal. Hurting people hurt other people. And when I was a kid, I had a dog, and uh, the dog broke his leg. Now, if you got a dog with a broken leg, you got to help your dog, right? What happens when you help your dog that's got a broken leg? It bites you. But you have to help your dog. So you know going in, I'm going to get bit. But this dog, it needs my help. So you decide, I'm going to turn the other cheek... I'm going to absorb some abuse for the benefit of my dog that needs help. And it's the same way with us. We will invite every broken, hurting, messed up person to church, and they're not going to be instantaneously perfect by just showing up at the door because hurting people hurt people. We need to have enough patience, enough love to be able to absorb some of that so that they can get to the place where where they know they're loved, they know they're accepted, they know that they're able to learn and grow. Hurt people hurt people, but healed people heal people. If you've been through the same thing that they're going through and God has brought you through it, you can share how God brought you through. If you've been through it, you can speak into the life of someone who's going through something in a way that someone who hasn't been through it just simply can't. If you've been through the loss of a loved one, if you've been through addiction, if you've been through uh, broken relationships, if you've been through those things and God has brought you through, there are many people going through those same things right now who are in despair and who are in fear and they don't know what to do and you can speak into their lives you can make a difference because healed people heal people so our vision statement has an order it's reach up rise up reach out reach up is first it starts with our connection with god then rise up now let's get better at this let's get good at following christ then we'll be able to make a real difference will be able to have a significant impact. But the rise-up part is the hard work of following Jesus. It's the hard work, and many people just don't do it. Now let me just read a short quotation from page 178 of Alton Garrison's A Spirit-Empowered Church. It says this, Statistics show that adults tend to stop growing spiritually in the fifth to seventh year of their Christian experience. Their fifth to seventh year. That means if you grew up in church, you're done growing spiritually by the age of 25. Doesn't that explain something? (laughs) Does that not make some sense? Like, oh, that's what's wrong. Let me tell you, the, the rise up process is a lifelong process. You know, there's scriptures in here like your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Are you done with that yet? Have you accomplished that? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You're going to be busy for the rest of your life trying to get closer and closer to that. Don't stop the growth process. Because here's the deal. The world does not need more stagnant Christians. That's not going to change the world is a bunch of stagnant Christians who haven't spiritually grown in 20, 30, 40 years. That's not going to do it. We must continue on the growth process. I don't care if you're 90 years old, let's be growing in the Lord because that's where the work gets done. But it's hard because it's a heart issue. You know, behavior is an overflow of the heart and spiritual growth is a heart issue. We've got to go down in deep. We've got to deal with who we are at the core. And that is a difficult place to go, but that's what we're called to do. I want to look at a negative example from the book of James chapter 1 of the dynamic of how this works, and then we're going to turn it into a positive thing. So let's go to James chapter 1, starting in verse 13. We'll see this dynamic in a negative sense, and then we'll see what happens when we put it into the positive sense. James 1, 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Does God tempt you? No. He will test you. And those can seem very similar. But there's a significant difference between temptation and testing. When God tests you, he's testing you to see if you are able to advance to the next level in walking with him. It's a test. And if you pass the test, he will promote you. A temptation is designed to pull you down to get you to to be hurt and damaged, to ruin your testimony, to pull you away from God. The temptation is there to hurt you. So God does not tempt you, but God will test you. They can feel similar, but if you pass the test, you will be advanced to the next place in your faith. So God does not tempt anyone. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. So it starts with an internal thing, our own evil desire. Now, I looked up the word evil in the Greek, and the word evil basically means worthless. And through extension, it can mean malicious and these other things. But it really means worthless, pointless, meaningless. It's just not of any good. It's evil. By our own evil desire, we're dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin is the wrong behavior. It started in the heart, now it 's being put forth in action. It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So I looked up the word "sin" in the Greek, and it literally means to miss the mark. It means to, to not hit the target and One of the things that I think has happened with some of the words in the Bible is they've been augmented over time. You know, like the word saint. When you read in the Bible, you talk, it's talking about the saints. You know what the saints are? It's just believers. It's just Christians. It's it's us. But over the centuries, it's come to mean something like past human, like, you know, like a saint, like, oh, you know, like there should be the, the, the little beam of light and the sound, something that's beyond what normal human beings can do. But saint just means a a follower of Christ. It's a normal believer. And sin, I think sometimes we've gotten to the point where we think it's such a deep evil that not a real person can do that, you know, Uh, like, ah, just this darkness. But it just means to miss the mark. It means, you know, to fail, to not hit the target. And so we have this, worthless desire that causes us to live in ways that miss the mark, but then there's a result from that. And the result here says is death. I looked up the word death and it just means death. (laughs) When we follow desires in our heart that are worthless, that aren't aligned with God, they may not be malicious. You know what I mean? They might not be like dark, deep, malicious, evil, but just worthless. Then we go down the road of missing the mark, and the result is destruction. The result is death. The result is pain and hurt and damage. I want to read quickly from James chapter 2 to kind of push this point in a little bit about how we've overstated some of these things. James 2, starting in verse 8, says this, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So favoritism is a sin that brings conviction by the law. You're a lawbreaker if you show favoritism. You think the next Marvel movie is going to have a villain whose primary thing that he does, his bad thing, is show favoritism. This doesn't feel like a deep evil, right? But this is the context of the next verse, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. This is talking about favoritism. Why? Well, because favoritism wrecks the plan of God. If Someone comes into church and God's doing something in their heart, but they can't get into the in crowd. Well, it ruins the plan of God for their life. Like that's pretty bad. So favoritism, even though it isn't a deep malicious evil, has the same impact By pushing someone out from the beautiful thing God had for them. So we need to be careful to realize that you can do things that are bad, that have a terrible consequence, even though it doesn't feel malicious and evil and dark. So how do we turn this the right way? How do we change this progression from, you know, your own evil desires and then sin, which is the behavior, and thinking can be a behavior, Just in case somebody got confused there for a second. Thinking on something is also a behavior. It flashing through your mind is the temptation. But when you choose to think about it, that is a behavior. All right. So you got the the evil desire, which gives birth to sin, the bad life pattern, and then that creates a terrible result. How do we turn that to the positive way? Well, if instead of an evil desire, we have a godly desire, we get a god thing on the inside, then will have a godly life pattern that will just naturally flow. You know, like if you get to the place where you love people, it's going to just start to spill out. And then when that spills out, it's going to be something good. It's going to result in life. You're going to speak kindness over people. You're going to speak encouragement over people. It's going to be something that has a positive, good result. So godly desires create healthy life patterns... And then you get a good result. And that good result is fruit for the kingdom of God. It's bringing light into the darkness. It's making a real difference in this world. So let's take the positive side again out of Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Galatians 6, starting in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Is this good news or bad news? Exactly. It depends on how you've been living your life. It depends on if you've been putting godly desires into your heart, cultivating that, and then having that spill out and the consequences come. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you've been living your life for Christ and it seems like everything is going bad right now, well, guess what? God cannot be mocked. You're not going to be. Put to shame because God has your back. He's on your side. He's going to help you. God cannot be mocked. But at the same time, if you've been pretending, you're not fooling the Lord. So that's where it goes. Verse 8. The one who sins to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest If we do not give up, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we get the good godly desire in our heart. Then we live that out. It spills out into our daily life, and that brings the good result. Here's what I want you to get from today. Be growing. In your walk with God. Wherever you are. Doesn't matter how far along you are. Be growing. This is day one. You have no idea what's going on. Be growing. You know take today's step today. You've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. Take today's step today. Keep growing. Keep learning. Keep aligning your heart closer with God. Keep learning how to uh, live out the ways of God. A little better. Day by day, it boils down to a heart issue. Rise up is a heart issue. Can I look at my heart, realize there's things wrong with it, and deal with it? It starts by inviting Jesus into your heart. First Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. So you in your heart, let Christ be Lord. Invite Christ into your heart as Lord. Now, this is written to believers because the next sentence, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, clearly talking about believers. So believers need to invite Jesus into their heart as Lord. And of course, to start a relationship with Jesus, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to trust him as Lord and Savior. You've been following Christ for decades. Invite Jesus into your heart as Lord. Put Him in the inside, and then He'll do some work in there. But let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You, Lord, that You see so much more potential in each one of us than we see in ourselves. Lord, let us not become weary in doing good, even in doing good for growing our own heart. So, Lord, we open ourselves to you. We open our hearts to you. And we say, Lord, Jesus Christ, you are Lord in my heart. You are my king. Come into my heart. Let the dark things be lit. Let the things that need to be washed away be washed away. And let good things come in. Lord, you are so good. We know, Lord, that we're called for a purpose. You put us here for a reason. We're here to bring goodness to bring light, to bring peace, to bring love, to bring joy to this world, to bring the knowledge of your gospel, redemption and everlasting life. And our ability to do that is based on our ability to grow because we know we're not there yet. So Lord, help us to grow. Help us to learn. Help us to be closer to your heart and to be able to serve more effectively. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon each one of us. Lord, whatever trial we're going through, Lord, I pray that trial would be on the outside, but your peace would be on the inside. Lord, I pray you'd give us a special measure of faith that we could believe the mountains would move, that we would see the the difficulties that we're facing and face them with faith instead of fear. Lord, I pray that you would give us joy in our hearts, Lord, that your people would walk around this community, our places of work, our schools, our families, that we would just exude joy because we know you're on our side. You'll see us through. We've got nothing really to worry about, just temporary problems. And Lord, help us to know how much you love us. Help us to be loved and to identify with how much you love us so that we can be filled up and have plenty of extra love to share with anyone in this world that needs your love. Lord, bless us in that way. Encourage us and help us to walk with you.